You know, when I look back on my, on my own life with very defining moments, I remember being in the same spot as these families that were standing here today with a little one holding them in my arms. I'm a, a father of five children, so I've done this baby dedication thing and being the person standing down there a few times. And I remember back nearly 30 years ago as a new dad standing, holding my son Stephen and stating with my intentions that it was my intention to raise him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But I don't know that, quite frankly, I even knew what that meant. As a younger believer, if you would have asked me my parenting philosophy, I probably would have said something about wanting to make sure I train my child to have good character, be independent, be a productive member of society, be confident and secure in who they are, have good and healthy habits, be well-rounded. Of course, I want, to, I want them to go to church and become a Christian. But since I didn't really have a defined biblical philosophy about what I was doing to train my children, my family, I was very prone to hear the common vernacular of the day and maybe adopt the philosophies of the world We've all heard those phrases, well, experts now say, I don't know by what means someone becomes an expert, but experts' views on how to raise children, how to have families seem to shift like the wind. In fact, it's why we have this series that I'm teaching in right now called Wind Advisory and looking at various subjects that we are all prone to daily in our culture and in church. And certainly none like the family unit itself and what it looks like to raise a child in this day. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, it says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is where we derive our our series title of Wind Advisory because the winds of doctrine are always blowing. Doctrine is teaching. So the teaching is constantly blowing and as a child, as maybe a child of the faith, if I don't grow and mature in my faith, the struggle will be is whatever wind direction blows, it's going to blow me that way. And I'm apt to follow that way, not knowing that it may be very destructive to my family. In the book of Colossians, we studied a little bit last week about this text where the Apostle Paul gave warning in regards to wind advisories. And here's what they look like. He, verse 4, he said, This I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And these words can be very persuasive. It sounds right. Experts say, I know that this are, we, we hear these phrases constantly in our head. So then we begin to adopt these because surely somebody else knows more about this than I do. But it doesn't necessarily mean these persuasive words are coming from Scripture. They're just very persuasive. In chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men and according to the principles of the world and not according to Christ. We looked last week at that word philosophy, that in and of itself, the word is not bad. The word philosophy means love of wisdom. So if you have a biblical philosophy, that's a good philosophy, because that means you are, you're filtering your life, you're running your life according to a God's word, a written book. That's a biblical philosophy. 
But where there's an absence of biblical philosophy, we're going to in, you're, we're natural to uh, inject world philosophy because that's the persuasive words. It's what we hear most. When it comes to parenting, there's a lot of wind that blows these days. And whether you're parenting little ones like these families that are just getting started in some areas, but, or you have children aging up, there's a lot of wind that blows. And just hearing some of the world philosophies as it is today of, well, it, it's mean or it's even called hate to make a child do what they don't want to do. Running completely contradictory to the scripture that says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. What the word of the hour is, is don't stifle a child's development by making them do something they don't want to do. To let a child, regardless of their age, make their own decisions. There's no submission. Though scripture teaches in Proverbs that a child left to himself brings his mother shame. Maybe it would work if we would just bring options to the table and manipulate a child into thinking they made the decision on their own when really the decision they made was yours. But it's a manipulative type thing where it's really not submitting unto your, your authority and to your word. It's just another way to navigate the situation. Oh, it's rewarding with things. And if you do this, then I will reward you with this. And basically we train the idea that I obey if the reward is worth it. But if I don't deem the reward worth it, I'm not going to do that. Keep them busy. Keeps them out of trouble. Well, that may be functional, but it also means you're busy. It may deprive you of the opportunities face-to-face, one-on-one in conversations to actually engage in conversations. It, it has trained our, na- our generations now to not know how to meditate and be still. Co- constantly, go, 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 go. And there's no longer sacred days in our culture. Used to be Sundays and Wednesdays were sacred. You'd never see sporting events or big activities for kids on Sundays or Wednesdays so they could have opportunities to be in youth groups and ministries. Those days aren't sacred anymore. And so now all of a sudden, it seems like the child's schedule drives everything. We don't want them to be bored. Don't let your child be bored. And so as a result... We make decisions, well, we don't want to make them have to sit too long. Or we can't go somewhere because, well, we don't want them to... It'd be boring for our child to actually go to that particular thing as an adult. We think entertainment-driven for children that they've got to have something to do, something engaging, something fun. And this permeates into the church because then it starts to shape even children's ministry and, and what becomes the priority is the priority to share the word of God and express love and teach children how to serve and to care for one another in the church and to learn God's word? Or is it to entertain them so that that at the end of the morning they come back saying, oh, that was awesome, and I can't wait to go back. And, you know, I've been in ministry long enough to watch this whole thing transpire, having served God through areas of children's ministry and middle school ministry, high school and college. And what I've observed through that through the years is when, when young people are groomed to the idea that it's all about the entertainment, there's always something else more entertaining. The church can never keep up with that kind of pace. And as a result, church is just boring and I don't want to go to that anymore. And, or we just bounce from church to church to church constantly looking for the next flashing lights. Who's got the coolest program today? Because you know I don't want to forsake my whole Jesus life, but this is boring. So I'm going to go find something that's not so boring. 
The philosophy that says don't lay any responsibilities or really, really any responsibilities on them when they're too young. They got their whole lives to work. Just let them have fun. Well, that sounds like it makes sense, but it doesn't equip them for life. I learned this so much uh, doing college ministry for some years because watching 18, 19, 20-year-olds come into the utter panic of having to adult and do adulting things. Not knowing how to manage their own affairs, how to make appointments for themselves, how to take care of their vehicles, how to manage a home, how to deal with problems. Because all of life up till this moment was all entertainment. It was no responsibility. It was no work because after all, we don't want to steal away your fun. These philosophies creep in. I remember my defining moment, and everyone has them. My defining moment was with my firstborn son, Stephen. He was a fun little guy. This picture, there, there he is. Dude, he was fun. He was easy baby, laid back. Quite frankly, would do whatever you wanted him to do as long as you were kind of accommodating it. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, if he wants to run and play, as long as I scooped him up and carried him around, he was very compliant and that was easy to do. But there was a defining moment for me one day when we were at church. Amy and I were attending High Street Baptist Church at that point. And I remember we were walking out the north doors and Stephen was in tow with me, hand in hand, but then he let go, which was fine. I was going to let him walk by himself. And he turned to run down the hall and the hall in that building's mile long. And he took off running. And I said, Stephen, come back. Time to go home. He didn't come back. He just kept right on going. And he's running past, of course, as he's toddling, everybody's looking at him, waving at him, and he's acknowledging he's a cute little guy. And he's just having a ball. But he didn't come back. So as dad, I run down the hall and I scoop him up and throw him up in the air because it's fun and he laughs and giggles and we had a great time. But I also realized he didn't listen to what I said and he didn't come back. Amy was very pregnant at that point and so trying to chase Stephen around was not an option. Going to the grocery store if you let him out of the cart, well, he's going to go explore the store. Stephen, come back. Come stand here. But he didn't. And it was at this moment I, I realized this is not healthy. But also, I was able to sit under Bible teaching that helped me. It opened my eyes, and at this particular moment, I'm sure I've heard these things before. However, I didn't hear them to settle them into my heart to where it would change my life like it did in this moment. I wanted to discover in the Bible, what does the Bible say about child training and how do I do this and be a, a dad that would train a child who, who would love, learn, and live Jesus? That's what I wanted. I didn't know the vernacular at the time, but that's ultimately what I wanted. So I go to the Bible and I found out there were no cookie-cutter scenarios that fit. I was looking for the perfect dad, the perfect son-father arrangement here and well, that was kind of tough to find. And I look at the lack of cookie-cutter situations even. You know, we have various family situations in here today. Blended families, single parents, 
Grandparents raising children, adoption families, foster families, some where there's Christians in the group, some not. All kinds of, a myriad of experiences are right here in this room. Well, it's the same way when you go to the Bible, trying to find the perfect cookie-cutter relationship that I just want to template that one. Well, then I began to hear a friend of mine that is a, a good Bible teacher, a great teacher. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had coffee with him to say, hey, nearly 29 years ago, you shared a, a lesson that I still remember it today. And I don't know that I ever remembered to say thank you for it. And I just want to say thank you because this literally changed the trajectory of my family. And the theme of the message was learn to hearken or to listen to the voice of God. It's real simple. Learn to listen. And so we begin to this, this journey of, well, like we all know, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. In Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, that, that God's way is the right way, and to train them according to His word. In verse chapter, Proverbs 22, verse 6, to literally train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. This is very proactive. This is going to engage me to now be this father who's going to train my child and train them according to God's truth. But I didn't really know what all the Word of God said about that. In Psalm 127, it describes how children are like arrows that are in the quiver. And however many arrows you put in your quiver, that's your business. But all I know is when you take an arrow, they're designed to be shot. This changed my perspective. Because all of a sudden I started thinking about what well, God's metaphor is there. You're drawing this arrow back. And there's a day I let this go. And I'm preparing now my children to launch. A launch away from my home. And what's that going to look like? And so the very things that now I know how to do and the things that God has taught me, I need to teach them so that whenever they launch from my home, they know, they know how to do the same things and they're walking in the same path. And so the struggle, finding the perfect father that I could template after. You say, well, of course, God's perfect. You watch the father-son relationship. That is so true. And quite frankly, it's the best one. But if you watch God the Father raising up the nation of Israel, and I'm going to share some illustrations with you today to let you see this, of how this impacted me. I've seen the Father with this son called Israel. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. Then you'll say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. God the Father is going to parent a nation. They are infants when it comes to their beginning and, and their faith and how He guides them and nurtures them and provides for them, but gives instruction to them and sets boundaries for them. But what He's always training them to do is very simple. Hearken or listen to my voice. And take heed, follow that way. And so it became a, a pattern of training as, as training to the voice that by this simple voice command would bring a change of direction. 
God is very proactive in Exodus chapter 3. God says, you know, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up to the land that's good. God came down to bring them up. He was the proactive one. This reminded me in my fatherhood to be proactive, not reactive. That I have to understand that I'm training my child to launch. And so everything that I do, all the, it's conversations, it's the activities, it's the, it's the day in, day outs of life that I'm training them literally to be prepared to launch and go establish their own home. God trained to listen. Even setting boundaries, of course setting boundaries, because that's what God does because He loves us. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, Now, O listen, now, O Israel, listen, hearken to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord, your God, the God of your fathers, is giving you. What's the message? Listen. Listen to these statutes and judgments. What are those? It's the boundaries. It was the way that God was interacting with the nation. It was the thing that set them apart from all the nations around them. It was the healthy boundaries. It wasn't to stifle their fun and ruin their lives. No, it was to give them the healthiest pathway, the most profitable way to interact in relationships. And when things go wrong, how do you make things right? And God gave good boundaries. But He certainly gave the boundaries. But the message was, listen and obey these things and listening to my voice and learning to hearken to this command or to this voice. This doesn't mean that required yelling. God doesn't ever raise His voice. It didn't require to get all bent out of shape. No, it's just it's a voice. But it was a training of submission to not listen. And if you study the word hearken or listen in Scripture, it's fascinating how many times it's mentioned. And God's teaching to listen to His voice, but also beware to don't listen to the false prophets. Don't listen to the naysayers, those ones that are trying to dissuade you. Don't listen to the ones who are the threats, bringing the threats of the enemy, who are telling you that you're not good enough and you're not going to make it. And God's learn to listen to my voice. And so this is what broadened the scope of my understanding significantly as a father because what am I wanting for my kids? I want them to walk with Jesus. And Jesus says this in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. And so this became my, my, motive, my, my motive for all things is I want my children to walk with Jesus, to hear His voice and then walk with Him. But there, I had to, there was boundaries. Obviously, if you're going to have a voice commands and things that you're training them for, training healthy boundaries, of, obviously in places of space where you can hurt yourself, but also learning the, the attributes of, well, what time is it? And I ask this question. I have a lot of phrases in our home that we use all the time, and this is one of them. Hey, guys, what time is it? And I'm not asking for the clock. Because there's a time for everything. There's a time to play. There's a time to sit still. There's a time to wrestle. There's a time not to wrestle. There's a time to be loud. There's a time to be quiet. There's a time when mom and I are talking and you're not. There's a time for everything. And so we start asking these questions all the time as we're training and through years. I still use this phrase. I don't have it all figured out. I stand up here as a dad with five children. Four of them are 
grown, established their own homes. I have three grandchildren. Praise the Lord for that. I have a daughter at home who's 12 and a half years old, so Amy and I are still learning and training and employing these principles daily in our own home. But the question of what time is it? I watched this happen with those around me and even watching in my own family when the command was given, hey guys, it's time to go. It's real simple when they're little. The phrase, two more minutes, five more minutes, one, two, three, when's this ever end? Well, who's in control? And I started to ask myself this question is, well, now we're obviously not operating on dad time, we're operating on somebody else's time. Are they learning to listen to my voice? So when the voice of the Lord calls, will they hear? Will they respond? When it's time to finish and turn that off, you've got, yeah, I'll give you a few more minutes here. When, you, when that show's finished, turn it off. And then it just keeps running. What are we going to do now? They didn't listen. When it was just one more level, I hated that phrase. One more level. I got to finish my level. You know, not setting healthy boundaries with that turns into endless amounts of gaming, unhealthy addiction to electronics. And many of us understand the difficulty that comes with that. And so then it becomes, I remember setting these expectations clear for my family when we, we got to these points and you know, if that becomes a problem, it just has to be taken away and setting the boundary. God impressed not only learning to listen and setting healthy boundaries, but also this aspect of the importance of living by example as a parent and then teaching your children these same things. Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your, and your strength. And the, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It's obvious that this was a text to the parent to love the Lord, but now these are the very things to turn around and, and train this to your children. But it's going to be done via example. It's not just a word exchange. It's a life exchange that's happening. Jesus comes along in the New Testament and says, now, let me summarize the entire Old Testament of the law and the prophets for you. And he says this, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love people, love God, love people. Well, this expanded my scope again because now I recognize my relationship with God needs to be my number one priority, to love God. And then to transfer that and, and mirror that relationship so that my, my children can see this. To teach this not only in text, which is critical to be constantly sharing the truth of God's word, but then how to rightly apply, how to engage the wisdom of the moment. To be able to discern what's happening around you. We have a phrase in our home called group stupid. And we use it all the time. And I've got lots of stories to tell about group stupid, but just real quickly, I can tell you that group stupid is those moments in life 
where a whole group of young people, and it doesn't always have to be young, but when young people get together and somebody goes, you know what would be awesome is if we, uh, and whatever that is, and everybody goes, oh, let's do it. And then all of a sudden, the temperament goes straight up. Everybody's brain disconnects and crazy stuff happens. In, some, in my home, every time group stupid happens, something died physically. So I, I equate group stupid to death. But this helps when, here's what happens, when you're training your children to, in wisdom to discern and be able to see. Proverbs chapter 2 gives this assurance. When we seek after wisdom and we pursue after understanding, here's the net result. God then gives, when He grants wisdom this way, He gives you discernment and judgment and discretion. The very things that that you would want your children to be able to look at a situation and perceive, I want to engage that. I don't want to engage that. That's not healthy for me. And you want them to be able to assess that on their own. But learning this relationship that of, it's, all, it's the teaching that happens in the, in the going, day in and day out, in the home, out of the home, everything that you're doing to serve people, to love the church, to love people, finding people in need, to be, learn to be an asset. It's another one of our phrases at home. You don't have to use any of these, but we use them at our house. Be an asset. When you go into a situation, be an asset. Help. Somebody there needs help doing something. None of this stuff magically happens. Be an asset. Learn to serve. God was teaching this to the nation of Israel as a perfect father. God affirmed his love repeatedly for the nation. Deuteronomy 7 says that the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. You were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. And this phrase repeats and repeats and repeats. God wants us to know and wanted Israel to know of his great love. You realize when he gave his own son for us, he manifested his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The theme of love that runs from cover to cover of your Bible, of the perfect Father in heaven who constantly expresses his love and reiterates it again and again and again. And it's not based, it wasn't based here, not on how many people there were. No matter of fact, they were the smallest of the nation. It's not about appearances, it's not about performances. I love you. Because as God said, I choose to love you. Well, I learned things from this. The way God, God's manner with the people didn't change according to their behaviors. No, he, of course, we're going to talk in a second. He brought discipline to a circumstance, of course. But his love didn't change. And God affirmed his love repeatedly. God gave clear blessing and consequences. No threats. And Deuteronomy 11, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. And I just cut off a little bit just to give you a, show, a little bit of it to see. But in verse 27, the blessing, if you obey. The cursing, if you do not obey. It's real simple. But God set these clear blessings and consequences for when you follow my word, this is what happens. But when you don't, this is what happens. But it's not a threat. You do that again, boom. God doesn't do that. He speaks plainly and clearly. There's no manipulation. There's no awkward reward system that, oh, here we go. 
No, it, God speaks plain. But he also spelled out the consequences very clear. When you go here and this happens, contrary to my word, this is going to be the net result. And he spoke very clear and very plain. God prepped them with expectations. As Israel as a nation was moving out of Egypt through the wilderness and now heading to the promised land, God was always letting them know what's coming next. And so with the expectations, as you enter into the promised land, He let them know there's going to be nations in there. This is what it's going to look like. There's going to be all these cities. There's going to be vineyards. There's going to be all this stuff. This is what it's going to look like. And he warns them then to take heed because you might, you might get duped by what you see. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 8, it says, Therefore you shall keep every commandment which I command you today that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess and take heed to yourselves lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. This was one that has really helped me through the years is stating clear expectations before we enter into a circumstance. Whether the children were small or even older. This helped us when we went overseas. But just stating the expectation. I'll give you a simple example. Go into someone's home, and Amy and I are going to have a, a visit with this couple, and all the, all, the, all the team's going. We don't need to leave them home, concerned they're going to be bored and all that. No, there everybody's going. But I made the expectation clear. Um, we're going to have dinner together, and you guys hang, out, hang with us at the table for dinner, but after dinner, we need to have a private conversation, so I would like for you guys to go into the other room and um, do other things. And don't interrupt. We're going to have a conversation that's an adult conversation, and so I don't want you to interrupt. Unless there's blood or fire, do not, another phrase for the family, but unless there's blood or fire, don't interrupt. Well, if we're sitting there, and in comes one of the guys. He says, Dad, he took my thing, and, and now we're arguing over a thing. Okay, well, now you've got, now what do I do? You got me in a spot here because you've now broken the law. And so we'll quickly deal with the matter on hand, but when we get in the car to go home, or once we get home, it's a great place to then talk about what were the clear expectations. Guys, remember when we were going in there, I said that we we're going to have dinner together. You guys were going to go play. And I told you not to interrupt unless there was blood or fire. Was there blood or fire? No. What was the problem? Well, he wouldn't. And then here we go. Okay, time out. So the problem, the source of our problem, it would seem, is you guys can't seem to get along over this thing. Is that right? So apparently we need to remove that from the equation. Now look what you did, Right? Yep. But all of a sudden now, it became the clear expectation, this is what we're going to do. And this is how this needs to go. I watch how God did this repeatedly with the nation of Israel. And how He does it with us. He speaks plainly. He speaks clear. He defines expectations and it helps us to understand the consequences. And here's what's so beautiful with our Father. He lovingly corrects when our behavior is contrary to His word. Proverbs 3.12 says this, For whom the Lord loves, He corrects. 
just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Our father loves us so much that he does set healthy boundaries in our lives. And then he corrects when we're out of those bounds. Why? Because he's just trying to ruin our lives, keep us from having fun, stifling our development. No, it's because he loves us and knows what is best for us. And so he corrects the behavior that is contrary to his word. God was always training Israel and all the way through scripture was training to obey immediately, exactly, and with the right attitude. As another phrase in my home. Obey immediately, exactly, and with the right heart attitude. With the obedience immediately, it was when, God's, when God said something, it was not intended for a delay. So we don't go into the, the time delay mode of counting expectations for the future. No, it was immediate. Do this. And if that wasn't followed, then there was a consequence for not following the immediate. Then there was the exactly, and there are so many illustrations in Scripture for this, but even how God gave the nation of Israel, gather your things for six days, but on the seventh day rest. Well, you see clearly when someone violated that, that they went out on the seventh day and gathered anyway. Well, they forgot what time it was, apparently. And they violated God. They didn't obey exactly. And it came with a consequence. Do you realize Moses? Moses himself was told to speak to the rock to get water the second time and disobeyed the voice of God. The first time they needed water, God told him to smite the rock and hit it, and he did, and the water came out. The second time, God told him to speak to the rock, and he hit the rock again. Moses did not go into the promised land because of that. God takes exact obedience serious because it's training something so significant with a bigger picture that even when you see what just happened right there, the first time you speak to that rock and we go to the New Testament and we find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and that rock was Christ and that water that came from that rock, that's the, the water of God that came from Christ himself. And so the rock was smitten. And we know our rock, Jesus, was smitten for our sin. And the price tag of our sin was paid for by him. But the second time, speak to the rock. But to smite the rock again would be the same as you and I coming back to the rock and Jesus being crucified over and over and over for our sin. This is significant. Everything God says matters. And so as he's training and I'm observing the significance of everything, obey immediately, exactly, and with the right attitude. And you, you look at the nation of Israel been supernaturally rescued out of Egypt and brought through the Red Sea on dry ground. And they come out on the other side and they immediately begin to whine and complain because there's no water and then it was no food and then God brings manna from heaven and then we get tired of glazed donuts. We want something else. And so now it's, they want meat and so God gives them meat. Then they eat so much meat they comes out their nose. 
There's a whining and complaining and whining and complaining and there's the right heart attitude. And so I've learned as a parent, someone can completely obey, they, they'll say, or I shouldn't say complete, they obey immediately and exactly with a rotten attitude. It's still not obedience. The task may have been accomplished, but it's still not unto the Lord. I'm training my children in the nurture and admonition, teaching them unto the Lord. Because Colossians teaches me do everything without complaining and arguing that you may be blameless and harmless, sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And so here's God. The perfect father training his child, the nation of Israel, giving this template for what? It's real simple. If you can only catch one thing that I said this morning, catch this one. And it's for everybody. Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a child, a child of the living God, listen to me. God is training us to listen. Hearken to my voice. I love that word hearken because it's more than just hear it. It's hear it, do it. Hearken to my voice. If you're in the process right now of training, this is critical. Because the voices of our world are screaming loudly, very persuasive, contrary to the Scripture, and trying to lead. Because why? Because the God of this world, small g that we see in 2 Corinthians 4, what does He do? He wants to blind the minds of all of us. Blind, not a Christ follower, he can't do that, but he wants to blind your mind of people that don't know God so that they won't come to know the gospel. He leads the course of this world, according to Ephesians chapter 2, he leads the course of this world and things go in a pattern in a way that the devil himself is orchestrating. And so he's subtle. He could transform himself into an angel of light, package things in a manner that even seem right, and then all of a sudden I might embrace that because I don't know necessarily what's true and what's right. And then the dangerous part of this is I adopt this into my family because experts say, only to find out seven years later, that experts now say that was bad advice. Here's the new one. Upload that. Well, I've got seven years of training under the old advice. I want to tell you today, learn to listen to God. His timeless truth never changes and He's always right. That's not popular today. It will set you apart. Yeah, it's called sanctified. It's called holy. It's exactly what God was doing with the nation of Israel where they were a, a unique nation set apart by God when they ordered their lives according to His words. I want to encourage you today. It's Family Dedication Day. It's a family as a church family for all of us. The priority, the priority, listen to the Lord and take heed to His voice in all things. And our priority is to make disciples who love, learn, live Jesus, who we hear the voice of our shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Maybe there's things today that you need to consider and go home and have a family meeting. We used to do these all the time. Because I recognized where things were spiraling out of control and it was usually on me. And we'd have a family meeting and I'd say, guys, I'm sorry, but I haven't done well here. I've let this slide here. 
I've been inconsistent in my words here. I didn't give you clear expectations here. I'm sorry for that. And I walked them through. This is as they were getting older, especially trying to be very clear of what, what does God's word say? And this is from here forward. This is how it's going to go. And the Lord does that with us. Maybe today is a day where in your life, you know for sure you're a child of God. You've come to God by faith and said, Father in heaven, I ask you to save me today and trusting Jesus to be your Savior. The Word of God teaches that when we come to Him by faith, but as many as received Him, to them He called sons of God, to those who believe in His name. And maybe today is the day in your life you become a son or child of God by faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior. And as a parent or a mentor, a model, that we take and model out the Word of God and what these things actually mean, taking heed to the Word.